Good morning. Our scripture this morning is John 3, verses 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, I, I had really literally five minutes when I stood up to deliver my devotion this morning before the hour was up. And so with y'all, I have a long time, so I can just I can just wander and go back over things and back and forth and all too. But no, my Christmas gift to you will be that you will get out significantly earlier than normal. I can't guarantee that, but I'll keep an eye on the clock here and try to uh, try to keep that, um, and, and and you know, in a sense that that doesn't sound right, does it? You know, my Christmas gift to you is you don't have to stick around and worship God for very long. You know, that, that, it, not it. Uh, but uh, uh, I realize sometimes, uh, sometimes you know, the the clock is an instrument of Satan. I believe that. Uh, a clock isn't a bad thing in and of itself, but if Satan gets a hold of it and it starts to internalize certain lives into our hearts, one being that a worship service somewhere in the scriptures it says must end on the hour, you know, and uh, you know, if it starts at 11, it must end at 12, that, uh, uh, that it's, it's, it's always the preacher's fault if it runs over. You know, it's 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 not the long-winded uh, choir director who gets up and makes her own speech. Oh, don't, 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 don't tell Joy I said that. No, uh, but you know, sometimes we just have a lot going on in worship and 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 prayers. There's, there's a lot of prayer requests and things going on, but we're always very time uh, sensitive, especially I think in the American culture. It's all about time. Time is money. And we're very obsessed with this. And it seems like in every church I always have one or two people who are the timekeepers. And they're the ones that will get up and walk out the second it hits the hour, the second you've gone over. And then they might confront you on that. They might send you a note saying, you know, you're not doing good time management. It's all about time management. And, uh, you know, I agree. I, I'm, I'm a little sensitive sometimes to time, not for the sense of I've got something better to do, but I also realize we've got a we've got a congregation of folks, some of whom may have to go someplace. They arranged something. Now, my advice has always been to people to say when it came to time on a Sunday morning, don't schedule things so tight. Why did you have to schedule that you were going to meet people at the at the at Armstrong's at 12:05? You know, why did that have to be that way? So leave a little bit of time for the Spirit to move sometimes, and there may be times when God says, I want you for a few extra minutes. So we're going to talk about praise and worship because I was thinking about as we go into the new year, I think that's a key thing. I mean, as a denomination, a lot of folks are very obsessed 
about uh, February, the last weeks in February, and the, and the uh, uh, general conference, a special called general conference, and dealing with the same issue that many churches have been dealing with. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day. They are a Mennonite in the Mennonite church, and they said, we're dealing with that. Uh, I, I, uh, the Catholic church, even though they have a very strong stand, they have a number of churches that are uh, dioceses that are kind of quietly doing their own thing. And so there's a lot of division and all around, especially the subject of, of human sexuality. But as I've tried to frame it, what matters is what we come down to. It's not any particular single issue, but it's, but it's our adherence to God's word, our trust in God, our faith in God, and our willingness to, uh, to sometimes stand against the tide of culture uh, in order to be right with God to be in, in that current where God wants to take us, even if it forces us uh, to go against the culture. So we have a lot of, lot of decisions uh, that may be coming up. The whole thing in, in, in the general conference is, uh, in, in, in St. Louis is that nothing could happen. Or they could be at an impasse. Uh, or they could say, we're going to deal with it another year or two years. or It could be that could happen. Or it may be that a definite decision will be made there and that's going to leave somebody on the outside feeling like they're on the outside. While we want everybody to feel included, but some people will not agree with that and they will feel on the outside. So that's why I'm doing the series on choices. Is I wanted to, you know, rather, rather than dealing directly with issues, I thought, what if we just kind of let God's word uh, cultivate our minds and do, do a little bit of digging of the soil there to prepare us? So that when we come to that time, we'll have a biblically-based method of making choices. Uh, Because there's definitely a pattern in Scripture of the way people make choices. And that's no, I don't think it's any coincidence that you have uh, the story of uh, Adam and Eve is centered around a choice that they made. Uh, You have uh, Joseph, who makes a good choice in his life later on in the book of Genesis. You have some people that make make bad choices. Uh, you have Samson and the story of Samson. He made a bad choice, but in the end, he overcomes that. In the end, his faith in God returns and his strength returns. And, and you have so many decisions. David, who made lousy decisions, but also would make great decisions. And uh, kind of giving us that hope that even when we mess up really badly, uh, for instance, in the, uh, uh, in the prodigal son story, when we mess up bad, that God is still willing to be our God and to welcome us and to love us. So we'll be talking about those choices, uh, how do we make those choices, and, um, and have assurance that we're making the right choice. How, is, is that even possible? We'll, we'll look at that. Uh, the scripture today, John three sixteen. I just wanted to, to say that when we're in Christmas, we don't often hear that as a verse around the story of Christmas, but it tells us this is why God gave his son. This is why he sent him into the world, because God loved the world so much. He wasn't willing that any of us should perish. He's, he's, he's seeking after, he's going after every single soul that there is and doing his best to bring us home. And uh, I, I think that's a great Chris, uh, Christmas uh, scripture for us to look at. And at the very end of the last uh, verse that Lisa read, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. 
And I wanted to take that last, those last few words there. What has been done has been done in the sight of God. When we worship together, we are in the sight of God. You see, for, for a long time, perhaps since the beginning of the church, we don't know a whole lot about worship situations in the early church. We have some clues, and we have some, some scriptures that give us clues. We, we know that sometimes there was disorder. So Paul has to say, let everything be done decently and in order. That there was, at, at times, it got a little bit wild and crazy. And it wasn't so much that wild and crazy was a bad thing, but they got misdirected away from worshiping God, and they were more obsessed with themselves and impressing other people with glossolalia or speaking in tongues or, or working of miracles and things like that. So worship is in the sight of God, and that's, that's where uh, David comes in. Uh, and before I go, go to, to David, though, I, I wanted to just talk a little bit about the power that, uh, that songs have, uh, music has in our worship, uh, something we shouldn't overlook. But some of the great hymns, uh, I, I looked at the ones that, that I have loved all my life, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What a message that is to convey. Uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' uh, blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And, 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 and that song is very clear that Jesus Christ alone is my claim to righteousness before God. Uh, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Uh, when you look at these hymns, the hymn writers were on to something. I almost say that they were inspired in, in these cases. To convey to us that when we are worshiping God, you know who God sees? God doesn't see Jeff. God sees Jeff covered in the glory of Jesus Christ, in the forgiveness and the blood of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul understood that I'm no longer living this life. Christ is living this life in me because I've surrendered to him. What does surrender mean? It has to mean that we've given it away. And we said, Jesus, you come in and you live in me. And, and Jesus, let your light shine through me. And so when God sees Jeff worshiping, he's not, he's not paying attention. Now, Jeff's a good singer, but let's say he wasn't. He's not paying attention to the quality of his voice or whether he's on, you know, he's in the right key. or That's not God. What God sees is someone covered in the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, who at that moment is, is, is lifting his heart to God in heaven. And I think that's what true worship is. It's when Christ shines through us to the glory of God. And so uh, I look back over the, the years and I look at those songs, which, thank God, you know, as a child I, I, I learned and I was around and I loved. And I think that we've got to value worship for the truths it conveys and it internalizes in us so that Christ can live more richly in us. So let's get to David here. Uh, David, by the way, um, Bethlehem was called the city of David, okay? Jesus was from the uh, lineage of David. Uh, he, he was, uh, you know, the Messiah was going to be uh, the son of David. He was going, David is, is, is a key 
in, in the coming of Jesus Christ in that story. And when, many people will, will say that David is a foreshadowing uh, of, 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 of the Christ who was to come, of Jesus. And so we know that Jesus, when he, per, when he worshipped his father, when he was in prayer with his father, when he was alone with his father, he was in per, a perfect state of worship to the father. He was truly worshipping in spirit and in truth. So David prefigures Christ in this, Jesus Christ in this, in the way that he worships. And so I just wanted to go through this, this, this one passage here uh, that you may be familiar with. Do you remember the, the time when David got a little carried away in worship? Have you ever been a worship service and you look over and somebody's a little carried away? And maybe it's that one person in the whole room who's doing this. I got both hands up. You know, and, 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 you know, they've got their eyes closed and they're just worshiping God. And everybody's kind of distracted by that. Because uh, that's not how we do it around here. Why are they doing that? And the person is lost in the worship. Now, we, we worship corporately also, meaning we worship as a body. So I'm not saying that sometimes you shouldn't be mindful of the people around you. Because Paul, in, in, to the Corinthians, he has to emphasize this. You have to realize you're a body, folks. And you're not just each unto yourself. But at the same time, David is an example of someone who when he was caught up in worship, he really didn't care what the people around him thought because he was doing it to the Lord. And so it starts out Second Samuel six fourteen, saying, David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, the linen ephod was kind of like a tight-fitting uh, outfit, you know, maybe you got one of those uh, Nike body fitting uh, things that you work out in to show off your big belly or whatever, you know. That uh, David is 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 wearing something that's pretty tight, and um, I won't get into other. I've read different descriptions of this, but pretty revealing. And he's he, he's dancing uh, with all his might. Now, he's not really naked. He's got this thing on, but for all intents and purposes, he may as well be naked. So his wife, who's the daughter of Saul, she comes out to meet David and says, now, what she's about to say has a lot of sarcasm. Did you know sarcasm in the Bible? you got to hear this with the sarcastic tone she had. Oh, how the king of Israel honored himself today. I'm just imitating the way Lydia would say that. Oh, how Bob honored himself today, okay, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. What were you thinking, David? You got a reputation, you're king. What are you doing dancing, dressed with hardly anything on, basically naked before these female servants? What's going on with you? She was upset, she was embarrassed, no doubt. My parents... I would sit with them in church, could not clap on time. My brother's a great musician. I can clap on time most of the time. You know, can't dance very well. Uh, but my, my mom and dad, by the way, come to think of it, they were great dancers. But they couldn't clap. On, I don't know how you could do one and not the other. Couldn't clap on time. And they couldn't sing on key. I mean, they were off all the time. But they loved to sing loud, and they loved to clap in church. And it was very embarrassing for me. 
uh, to be around them. So this is, I think, how my, uh, the, you know, uh, his wife is feeling this embarrassment of what, what is he doing. Uh, the thing is that David kind of has this childlike love that's going on in his worship of God. Uh, you know, uh, do you want to worship with that kind of, of love for God or with the kind of a chronic old arthritic uh, stiffness to, to your worship? How do you want to worship? Now, this isn't about outward motions. It's about the heart, okay? I'm not saying you have to sway and move and lift your hands, but I'm just saying, where is your heart? Is it with God, or are you more worried about what people around you are thinking? And so David had this ability to worship without really worrying about focusing on the people around him as much as focusing on God. And then David said, uh, well, he said to his wife, he said, it was before the Lord, if that's all, all he needs to say. Don't you understand? It was before the Lord. That's who I was dancing to. These other people, that doesn't matter who was watching me. I was dancing to the Lord. That's where my heart, that's where my focus was. Um, uh, you know, you may be that person who can't sing well. You may be the person who can't clap on time. Uh, you may be a guy's guy. And you say, boy, I'm not going to show any emotion in service. In the worship service, my wife can be there, whatever she wants to, but I'm going to be like this the whole time, looking like I'd rather be out hunting or doing some man stuff, you know, spitting or chewing or something, man stuff. But I'm not getting it because this worship is sissy. And, and they've, they, you know, there's been articles written about this over the past uh, few decades about how Christian worship is not very manly that there are parts of it that seem very feminine, and it seems like women are getting more influence in the worship arts. Uh, even calling it worship arts doesn't sound manly. And to the point where men feel out of place and excluded. So there's been groups that have tried to, to make our worship more manly. But David, man, he, he is a man. And, uh, uh, and he is here giving everything to the Lord and not worrying about what the men or women around him are thinking. And then he says, I will make myself yet more contemptible to this. This is what he says to his wife. Okay, you think that's bad. Wait, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to make myself even more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. That kind of a funny thing. In my wife's eyes, I may be abased. I may be an embarrassment. But those women, they understood. Somehow, David knew they understood what he was doing. They appreciated that he was dancing to the Lord. It, it, it influenced them. It encouraged them. It directed them towards a similar worship. Jesus could, I mean, David could see that. And so he's telling his wife, listen, this may be, uh, seem like a bad thing to you, but it's not to me. And the main point about this uh, is not about worshiping harder, not about lifting your hands higher, uh, the main point here, I think, that we'll miss, and it's not about being more like David, but it's that Jesus' worship was truly total. David was that foreshadowing. David was that prefiguring of the way Jesus was going to worship. But our goal as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, if we're following him in everything, is to follow him in worship. How did Jesus worship? And when Jesus worshiped God, it was total. It was all of his being. And, and, you know, Paul talks about this, to, to worship with all of your being. 
and to, when you come together to let you know to pluck the heartstrings as you sing together and uh, you know and you sing in the spirit. And Jesus had this. Uh, Jesus' worship drew scorn. People looked at Jesus, and uh, uh, they began to question who he was. Is he a fanatic? Uh, is he is he a, 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 a teacher who is coming at us with such mysterious stuff? But there's really nothing there. They, they began to scorn him. They began to question his teachings, and ultimately, it leads to a place on the cross. Only Jesus' worship was perfectly God-centered. And thanks be to God that our worship is covered by Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to be up here worrying about, is this the point in the worship service where I should show emotion, shed a little tear maybe for people to see? Is this the moment where I should get up and just really yell and shock everybody and go, come on, folks, let's worship, let's get it going. You know, whatever it may be that people, worship leaders, may have to worry about, that's not it. If you're totally worshiping as Jesus worshiped, you don't have to worry about that. If your heart is focused upon God, if you're doing it, whatever comes out is going to be right, is going to be okay. That's one of the things I've learned about as a pastor, and I'll end with this. I think Jeff probably feels that way, and Tony, and anyone who's been a pastor, Sue over here, who is is currently an active pastor. Uh, she just doesn't. She just skipped church at her church today to come here. But uh, but uh, but whatever you're doing, over time you learn. Just be real and be authentic, and don't worry about the technicalities. Don't worry about every little movement. Just be yourself in your worship. And everything will be okay. I, I shouldn't tell this on Shauna, but Shauna is doing such a great job across the street. And uh, the worship is is, is, is is wonderful. I'm not trying to drive you guys away. Although she said to me this morning, she said, well, I don't have much of a worship service because uh, Joy is gone, so I don't have a long worship service. She said, well, if folks want a longer one, they can come over here. Uh, but uh, she said, send your folks over here. But uh, the other night, I wasn't even thinking about this. It was Shauna's first Christmas Eve service. And if you were a pastor, do you remember the first time you led a service or you led a special service or something? And we had a lot going on in that service. There was a drama and there were things happening. And she looked at me and she said, I feel like I'm going to be sick. But she used some other words to describe how she was going to be sick. But um, she was really... Very nervous, and I, I was kind of like, wow, I, you know, I, I'm just looking forward to this thing. And then later on afterwards, I, and I said to her, I said, it's going to be okay. How, whatever happens, it is what God wants it to be. It'll be fine. So we went through, and I think it was a good service, but uh, afterwards I said, you know, I didn't mean to just blow that off when you said that, because I said, thinking back, I remember the first time I ever did this. I was so worried about every little motion, you know, mechanical and, and communion services and all too. But I said, but the, but the main thing is, Shauna, your heart is with God. I know you love Jesus. If you go in there loving Jesus Christ with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, if you love God that way and you love the people around you, it's going to be okay. You don't have to worry if you mess up. You know, it's going to be okay. You may trip and fall. You may spill the communion juice. You may... You know, your shirt tail may be out the whole time you're preaching. Whatever it may be, it's going to be okay. And folks, so I, I pray as we go into the new year, we, we 
really understand that this worship time is not about whether or not Linda made a mistake or, 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 or Bob preached a lousy sermon or anything like that. It's where your heart is this morning, where your heart is. And so uh, praise be to God for a new year. I promised you a short service, and uh, I can give you, uh, after we sing the song, I can give you about nine minutes of free time. So, uh, so, anyway, so we're going we're gonna, to uh, sing our, our, our final hymn here, and, and as we do, it's Go Tell It on the Mountain. And, 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 and the object here is that Jesus Christ is born. We've been talking about him being born, but now what are you going to do? Are you going to go tell it on the mountain? We live in a great place to sing this. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain. What are we going to tell them? That Jesus Christ is born. And they're going to say, okay, so what does that mean? Well, you better know the gospel enough to say, well, it means that Christ came to die for your sins. And that God loves you. And God wants you to be his forever child. And through Jesus Christ, you can. Amen. What a great year it has been. I'm looking forward to the next year. It's going to be, uh, I think, a great year in the life of our church. And I pray that you will pray that God will uh, lift us up, open us up uh, to, uh, to hear him and obey him. So we'll go forward in the peace of Jesus Christ. And indeed, uh, be blessed in your worship of him, your daily worship of him, thanking him morning, uh, noontime, and evening for all the blessings you have in Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas, and may we have a very, very happy New Year. Go in his peace, and amen.